Welcome to Fallout Podcast, aka number 39, aka I Was Provoked. It's a fall showdown, all 525 songs going H to H in an Ultimate Warrior showdown split into four eras 77 to 85, 86 to 93, 94, 01, 02, 17. Tonight, Oh Brother versus Mark Riley, Terry Waite says versus CD Windfall 2088, F Old in Money versus Dis. Build mug art and we wish you a protein christmas versus is this new joined as always by mr billy rugby butcher of quality how are you philip very well thanks mate just uh doing the usual planting crops digging rocks sacrificing to the goat with a thousand kids it is business as usual then the rugby manor but lord sage temple a tiny bit of circus <laughs> all the circus all the circus he could ask for and more besides T. Pemberton Walker, advertise your business here signs on Skelmersdale's many roundabouts. Many, many beautiful roundabouts. Uh, There's probably a calendar out there. And uh, in the ether, Timothy Twa, the corrupter, looting from the burning blade. Is he with us tonight, Philip? He has. He's clawed his bloody way into uh, 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 meat space once again. Uh, beautiful. I'm Tree Beards, a handmade Last Supper incense uh, and brass pack cardboard. And joined by special guest, Sam Bennett. Good evening, Sam. Cheers. Glad you to are, be here. Uh, well, we're very happy to have you. I believe you're a friend of Mr. Ezra over there. I am. We've known each other for several Several years here in Tokyo Town and uh, made a little bit of noise together here and there. And uh, yeah, I love Ezra. Beautiful. So, I love you too, Sam. <laughs> good, good. It's a land of love. What's your kind of uh, feelings on the fall, this rock and roll band? Well, up until Ezra sent me the eight song playlist for this show, I have essentially been more or less completely ignorant of the fall. Yeah. And and I'm. it's not something I'm proud of, but uh, it's just the fact. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of music out there and I, it's somehow the fall uh, kind of passed me by, even though my wife is a fan, you know, and uh, I, I should have taken her up on an offer to listen to them many years ago. And she played me something, I think, a few years ago that uh, I was like, well, I really don't like that. And then I just kind of kind of like threw them in the trash heap. But actually, upon listening to these eight songs in the playlist tonight, um, I have to say that uh, there's just a whole lot of really good stuff there. So I think Marky e. Smith is obviously a super creative and interesting uh, musician and band leader, you know. So yeah. I'm glad to have the chance to think about the music and discover some of these tunes uh, tonight and talk about them with you folks who obviously are fall, you know, followers. Followers of the fall. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or yeah. autumn, as we call it over here. <laughs> um, <laughs> what kind of music does tickle your fancy? Oh, man. Well, so many, so many kinds of music. I, I kind of stopped paying attention to a lot of rock music once, uh, once the late 70s and early 80s rolled around. At that point, discovered a whole other bunch of music. You know, I was really into African pop and stuff and, and South America and Indonesian music and... 
uh, yeah, just a whole bunch of stuff and Delta blues and stuff. I kind of just, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't that I, I hated punk or anything. I just didn't find it all that interesting. And, you know, I was like, oh man, juju music from Nigeria is a lot more interesting than, than this stuff. <laughs> no, it's great when, you know, to have someone come in with a different perspective, it's always, mm. uh, always good to get a fresh set of ears on these, on these old favorites. Uh, let's right. kick off then with the first track this evening, which is, oh brother, Philip, if you don't mind queuing her up. There's something funny around here. What is it? Oh, it's you. Come here and sit down. You're going to have the truth told about you and put on record. Here, please do not sit too close to me. I've just had my breakfast. Thank you. Who put salt in the sugar bowl? Who put fireworks in the coal? Who put a real live toad in the old? My brother. Who put jam in mother's shoe? Who made real caterpillar stew? Who locked granddad in the loo? Hang on, is that the right one? I don't think so. It's it's delightful, but that's not the tune I heard. It's the remix. That was great. Whoever that was, it was great. Harry Scarf, Kerry and June. Run it. Indeed, in a mess, Philip. <laughs> Don't coming, look at me that way. Exactly, <laughs> Philip. Uh, as is customary in these things, I'm coming to you first. What do you make of old brother? Well, I did. I did a little joke there, didn't I, at the start, just a little to get us to get us going. I was I was really impressed at how much variety there is in Mez's delivery on this because he starts off with his sexy, sultry, whispery Mez, doesn't he? Doing his doing his kind of smoky voice at the start of it, and then there's like the uh, the um, falsetto girl band Mez that he drops into in the in the song as well. There's 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 other stuff going on, but. I thought, what is it that he's actually whispering at the start of this song? What's uh, what seductive words? And then, <laughs> then discovered it was some national socialist poet from the 30s that he's just delivered some pets. Well, it's I'm, I'm being a bit harsh there, but it's I, I was quite shocked when I, heard, when I found out where it came from. We've been doing this for a while now. We're well aware of his, uh, his tendencies to drop in something a bit scandalous in his songs, isn't he? I, I wonder how much of that is him testing the audience in terms of how much they, how much attention they actually pay to those things how much of it is kind of snarling at the audience and thinking oh these this line like suits my sort of character that I from a musical point of view I, I, I thought 
It sounds a bit like the bangles. If you take, if you take Mezzi's vocals off this, it, it sounds like an 80s, like a, a pretty standard 80s kind of pop production. The other voice that cracked up that he said, he starts doing car out of Jungle Book, doesn't he? I went on a whole rabbit hole of the snake from Jungle Book as because uh, you, you you put him on. And it's the guy who did Winnie the Pooh doing this creepy snake thing. The thing that really stood out to me with this is just kind of how operatic it gets. The delivery and how theatrical Mark is with it all. So I'll give him the benefit fit of the doubt in terms of where he's pulling some resource material from just because it is it feels like a performance it feels like a character that he is assuming with this song so and um, so overall i quite enjoyed this you do have to be careful when you start your song with with the national socialist poetry alistair what do you make of oh brother uh exclamation mark or the single b-side oh exclamation mark brother i quite like it it's a, it's a pop tune it's a um... <coughs> Bricks pop, not Brit pop. All about sacking a young Mr. Hanley, wasn't it? Um, from what I've read in one of the books, can't remember which one, probably um, Hanley Senior. It's it's like pop, but the, the, the keyboards kind of send it a bit wrong. The vocals are rare, like the uh, sort of like piss taking falsetto voice. Will you give me just one more chance? Like you think, what you do when you take when you're ripping the piss out of someone? Uh, just repeat what they've said to you in a high pitched voice, and it just sounds yeah, really sarcastic and childish. <laughs> <laughs> Mimicry, it's great, and the the yodling, the yodling bit at the end as well. Like me, uh, I mean, laugh at um, yeah, in stitches with a uh, be alone. Yeah, very amusing, but I'm very easily amused. But yeah, I, I like it. I, I never noticed the uh, stuff at the beginning of it and that's kind of a donor on it for me now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if the content of the actual poet itself is anything other than what you said in stuff like middle mass and stuff like that. I think it's just the context. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll dig into that if, if this should come round in later rounds of this. But Ezra, what do you make of this song? Yeah, well, you know, lyrically it, it does seem quite deep. And so I didn't dig into it that far because I have a strong intuition that we may talk about it again in the future. But it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's fantastic. It's just taken up free rent in my brain. It's been going on in my head all week. Beautiful, lithe kind of bass line. I love the fact that it's so poppy. And and like Phil said, it is kind of banglesy. I can't say for sure because, you know, I'm not a trained musician, but it seems quite discordant at the same time. You know, like it seems like there's something a bit out of tune in there. And it's such a fucking like when you when you think about, you know, like the, the previous album, Perverted by Language, they were just a noise behemoth. And then they go into this and they've done a lot of really fantastic pop tracks, but this could be one of the, you know, one of the very, very best. <laughs> the vocals are great. The yodeling is great. It's just great. It's all great. I think that's all. It is all great. I, I agree. Sam, what did this one do for you? I'm guessing it's the first time you've you've heard it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's the first time I've heard all these tunes. Nice, okay. So, yeah, I mean, w the thing that attracts me mm -hmm. most, I guess, about this tune that, that I find the, the, the most satisfying is just the sheer simple focus of what's going on, you know, musically. I'm actually a really focused lyric kind of guy because I'm a songwriter myself and I, I really am a, a, a great, you know, a, a very attentive to lyrics generally 
generally speaking. Um, on the other hand, if they are not readily intelligible upon one or two listenings, uh, I may not pay that much attention to them. And so I think that with a lot of these tunes, there's a couple of notable exceptions in the list of these tunes, but I think with a lot of these tunes, uh, lyrics are something that I personally would need a lyric sheet to follow. And um, uh, truth be told, I didn't go to the lyric sheets. But what I can say about this one is that the absolute pristine rock directness and simplicity of the of the riff, the first you know three note riff, which actually is a bass line, but it, I, I think it starts on like on an acoustic guitar or something. It doesn't actually seem to start on a bass. It's I think very the, high, isn't it, for a bass? Yeah, it's yeah. quite it's quite it's quite high. Maybe it is a bass, but it's way up there. Uh, it almost sounded to me like it started on a guitar, an acoustic guitar, and then as the tune develops, other instruments jump in and start unison driving home. You know that that thing. It's you know, and that's beautiful. You know, it's just like it's kind of all, all you need. And so I I guess you know for me the main thing about that track was just the the focusedness of it and the simplicity of it no 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 wasted information nothing superfluous you know it was just it was just absolutely the minimum that you need to get the tune across and i thought they did it yeah they did it well yeah i agree i i agree and very much what ezra was saying is, is more or less what i've got written down here it's as poppy as they got and what phil yeah, was saying okay. about the bangles or the jangle pop stuff mm. and that's definitely almost certainly the influence of bricks who was smith's wife who joined the band around this time right yeah. I, I read about her on wikipedia yeah she quite a character and, and, and really changed the spirit of the band and if you come on next time Sam, there's a site called the annotated fall which you may or may not have come across which is basically where i steal all of my notes so um what i thought is alistair this struck me as the most frank side bottom ish song in the fourth kind of, i just imagine me, oh what's our crap we are in a mess like and the keyboards but i think is that it could have been super saccharine but there's a bunch of other stuff going in the background like delay the hi-hats and 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 some keys that do sound that maybe they're slightly out of tune and then mez is messing around with his vocals take what could in in the hands of some people be a good pop song pretty dull and straightforward and and just added so much interest to it i think it's one of their best songs spoiler i'm it might go all the way although everyone's they're literally going to vote it all out just out of spite in this first round you know us so well i know so it was played in 77 like uh, nearly six years before and then put on the shelf for a bunch of time and when it first came out it it was the same bodily diddly riff which they then go ahead and use on the next song so it's like the first two songs tonight are both one of the many times the fall is ripped off the bow diddly riff um, <laughs> but why not yeah, sure. Yeah. Nobody owns it. Except for Boy Diddley, rest in peace, you know. <laughs> but um, it's it's a great, great tune and, and a, a firm family favourite. What about Tim 3? What does Tim think, Phil? Well, he is shouted from the deep, deep abyss of Hasland and great track, somehow ethereal and wispy. I find it odd how the guitar, bass and keys seem to have been mixed completely on top of each other with the bass dominating them. But then Bricks' angelic la-la-las come in and fill the space left in the mix. Subdued, but somehow unique. Beautiful. He always has just what we need to hear. So up next is Ma Riley, a.k.a. Hey, Mark Riley. 
it, they stayed uh, in the archives until about 2011 when it was released on the uh, omnibus edition of this nation saving grace so it's essentially a studio outtake they did, did play it live a bunch of times around um, when the album came out alistair coming to you first hey mark riley hey lazy writing diddly um it's a bit of a filler in it you know bricks is going fit with the backing vocals and there's some uh, funny pitch shifted bits with the vocals it makes them sound like smash monsters but they get again to a nice groove right at the end and, and then it just stops <laughs> but yeah it, it just seemed to lack a bit of energy at the beginning of it fair enough I thought it was weird that we know that Mez is a taskmaster but Scanlon and Hanley are good mates with Mark Riley and they're having to go on stage every night and play this song boy who <laughs> their boss is just um, harassing the uh, Radio 1 DJ well uh, I think uh, Creep in Brix's book uh, she's like apologising far too much Creep was never about you Mark it wasn't Please play my records. Have me on your show. In that sort of little sarcastic voice. Ezra, what do you think about this one? Well, you know, in the absence of a Bo Diddley record... Why not? Let's listen to <laughs> someone else ripping off Bo Diddley. I mean, it's it, it's great. It's great to hear that. Essentially, this is a dig his ex bandmate. It says it all that he would just rip off. They would just rip off Bo Diddley and just do this. Whereas said former bandmate, Mister Mark Riley Esquire, would write a whole song slagging off, beefing off. Mark E. Smith in the form of Jumper Clown, which I didn't like as much because it sounds like Pound Shop Bowie, and I don't like expensive Bowie. I don't like Bowie, any Bowie, but <laughs> that's beside the point. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is, but uh, yeah, it's a fun little groove, I think. Let's have a bit of a listen to Jumper Clown, Mark Riley's response to this song. Jumper Clown, Jumper Clown, Jumper Clown, Jumper Clown. be honest he didn't have a lot to do to beat the poor deadly ripoff but i don't know if he's managed it um <laughs> sam what do you what did you make of this uh, well Riley thing? i have no knowledge of any of these backstories about uh, his bandmates and you know who he was singing to or what you know i'm completely green on this shit i thought that uh he they brought the bow diddly b with a solid snare rock backbeat pretty damn well. I mean, it, it grooves, you know. So that's one point in their favor. Um, and, you know, even Bo Diddley ripped off the Bo Diddley beat. It's not like he, he doesn't own the Bo Diddley beat, even though it's called the Bo Diddley beat. The Bo Diddley beat has been around long before Bo Diddley, you know. He was just the guy that kind of made it most famous. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's got eh, ripped off this, ripped off that. I mean, it's just a beat, you know. And so I thought that they did a pretty damn good job with it. I thought the cowbell sounded excellent. Nicely recorded cowbell. And uh, and I dug the, the, the backing vocals, you know. I thought they were great. I don't know if they, they were female backing vocals vocals or or pitched up male backing vocals I, it doesn't matter you know overall I, I thought it was a fun track hey bo diddly hey ma riley of course it's just flat out plagiarism but like you know who cares i who mean cares? So obviously that obviously that was the joke right uh, all in all i i quite enjoyed that tune because i'm just a unabashed fan of the bo, bo diddly beat you know weirdly those first three tracks tonight they've all got bricks singing you know spirited backing vocals so the backing yeah. vocals was bricks again yeah nice uh, okay. riffs and uh, the drummer at the time carl burns who said 
played around for quite a while, was a very powerful and kind of creative kind of drummer. For the lo-fi recording, I think it was pretty cool. Hey, Mike Riley had a home. In his home, he had some lizards, lizards and spiders crawling everywhere. Um, so apparently... Uh, he, he says something, but in the lyrics, he says, see Mark Riley by the windowsill, wondering what's a new face in hell. Grotesque here in a dragnet there, which is a, a reference apparently to, to Riley wanting to play the old stuff. So this was some gems from the day before of like, apparently Riley's antics on stage were described by Mez as out of control because he was wearing a cowboy hat during the song Container Drivers. <laughs> and uh, although Jumper Klein wasn't particularly good, it does have the word, the lines, dare to dance on an Aussie floor, bloody nose, bloody bore, which is about the incident where Riley punched Smith in the face. And then the next day, the two of them had to go on um, Australian TV. Australian Smith, TV. Smith's yeah. got yeah. a black yeah. eye. And um, the, it is more, it, it means more, I think, to to maybe people of, of our generation in um, England time, because Mark Riley went on to be quite a well-known Radio 1 DJ. Oh. Um, so he's he's the, probably the most known of all of the ball members, but um, still not, not a bad attempt at ripping off Bo Diddley. What does uh, Timothy think about this? Mark Riley, a bit of mess spitefulness but it's got a great groove but then Bo Diddley had the exact same groove really enjoyable when it's on but it's just a bit of fluff in the end Truth testify Alistair no no Philip what do you think uh, well the first thing that I was thinking of, I, I'm probably in agreement with you Sam on this uh, about this song I, I think um, I think it's it's easy to get kind of caught up in the appropriation conversation with, with riffs like this I was really reminded of something that I was reading about where they did a study on football chants and the melodies that get used in football stadium chants mm. and how old some of those melodies are and how, how many centuries so they never go back and they're like folk melodies that get reused over and over again. I I, I take the same attitude with uh, the, the Bo Diddley thing really. It's uh, He got his name on it. What more does he want? Do you know what I mean? It's uh, I, I've got a, a bit of an association with this song anyway because it went through a few different forms, didn't it? This hair fascist that they did with this uh, and then this hair students as well was another round of it so it's it did make me laugh to think of the fact that he, he associates Mark Riley with those other two things which he obviously has so much disdain for which is fascists students and then Mark Riley he's they all have the Bo Diddley beat yes yeah, the same place <laughs> well. Bo is rolling yeah. over in his grave I actually thought this was a really good version of it. And I think the bass line that they picked with it, the drum, everything knits in really well together. I think when they, uh, I think it's deliberately light at the start because when that slide comes in, which is perfectly executed, slide is a very, very difficult guitar style to play. And whoever's doing it nails it because it sounds fantastic. You can get the board diddly beat wrong, which is what Craig McLaughlin did with Mona Mona, which is what I played last time. And you can get it right and when you get it right it's that bounce that you get with it where the rhythm just bounces along and it's just everybody's with it and you've got to deliver everything with the right energy and then you're on a winner you can play it for like 10 minutes and never get bored so uh, and I, I think they nail it on this record um, I, I love the call and response ha 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 bits in it as well I think the, there's loads of really good lyrical vocal ideas going on with it as well um, I'm really surprised Alice didn't make reference to the Pinky and Perky uh, back Vocal that's on it. Oh, as well. I, I kind of said Smash Monsters. Ah, right, okay. yeah. I so, I'm, so I'm making a stake for uh, for Mark Riley just to just to piss you off, friend. Well, that is um, you usually do it without 
being conscious so it's good that at least you're trying but it is it, it is testament to the contrarian nature of smith that he opens the first song tonight with the poetry lines from a national socialist poet and then the second song has a version called hey fascist in which he decries fascism you gotta kick him in the head hey fascist exactly <laughs> nazi punks get out of here Fuck us. Let's take well said. well said. Well said. Well said. Out. what we're all we're thinking. What we're all thinking that. Let's Let's Kennedy's, Kennedy's, Kennedy's Nazi punks. Fuck off. We know. We know. <laughs> Listen. Let's take a vote, people. Are we presenting old brother or Ma Riley through Ezra? <laughs> Little brother. Come on. Splendid, Sam. Yeah, I'm going to go with old brother. It, right it seems like a more a more honest tune. Good. Good. Alistair. Alistair. Well, I'll I'll set it up for a bit of drama and go for Riley, even though I think All Brother's better. Beautiful. Phil? Hey, dearly. Oh. (laughs) Drama, drama. I'm going for Old Brother. Yeah, for Old Brother. Let's see if Tim can send it to the fingers. Old Brother 3, my Riley 1. Ah, well, there we go. Justice has been served. Let us move on to Teddy Wade Says from Ben Sinister, 1986. T-Bone Aspinall, coming to you first. Terry Waite says... Yeah, there was a bit of a story behind this one thing. It might have been in the McMiddles book with Mark Smith, where he claimed that he's, uh, uh, Terry Waite's family contacted him after the uh, the kidnapping, because this was done prior to it. Uh, and he was in- interviewed by MI5, but um, it could just be spinning a yarn, you never know. It's, I'm, I'm very glad that this one wasn't up against Old Brother, because they're not too far apart, in, uh, you know, like, time-wise. And that would have been a tough one because uh, I think it's a really nice, dirty, garagey bit of fun. This some nice lyrics. I love the drum pattern. There's like little dropouts in there that I think work really well. And you get a bit of impact when it comes back in. And Brix's scream over one of the, the dropouts is just absolutely perfect. There's no fade out on it, but you know I think the ending could have been better to it. You know, if they stuck a bit of uh, you know, he, you know, he does, he really does. That'd have been uh, quite entertaining. But yeah, yeah. I'll let I like know. It a lot. Apparently, Brix said the song was released. Then Terry Waite's family's call called Beggar's Banquet, our record company. They believe there might be clues into the lyrics as to where he's being held. Mark Smith, on the other hand, claimed it was about a man he met in the pub called Terry Waite. And, and uh, <laughs> who am I to say any different? What, uh, Ezra, what do you reckon to this? Well, yeah, you know, like Alistair was saying, this is another fucking proper pop hit to the guts. It, it, it's great. I love the lyric, Terry Waite says, what are trees? Painted white jobs, silver something, silver something. Terry Waite, 50 plus, out to heel, provincial puss. So obviously Terry Waite's family heard those lyrics and thought, well, maybe Marky Smith might know something about where Terry Waite is being held captive 
maybe close to some silver birches. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. And this is it, you know, like, there's a lot in common with with Oh Brother, uh, musically speaking. But Oh Brother actually seems to be about something, as ever with any fall song. It's a little tricky to pin down, but here, messaging seems very, very oblique. So why would <laughs> Terry Waite's family would have got in touch with him or the MI5 <laughs> would have got in touch with him to be like, have you got any idea where Terry White's being kept is something that quite befuddles me. No, yeah. Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith, we've been following you for some time. We have quite the file. Exactly. <laughs> Mostly in the Presswich area, but we think maybe, what do you know of Beirut? <laughs> um, so but the thing is that around this time, Terry White was already very well known because he was in Beirut, like trying to negotiate for a hostage to be released. He was on the, I, he was on the news all the time. It wasn't like, and Bricks claims she wrote it as well. So it's a bit of a weird one. But um, in the end, he was taken hostage just after this song came, just, just after. And uh, he stayed um, until the 90s. Probably actually had a better decade than Smith. <laughs> Sam, what do you make of the song Terry Waite says? Hey, look, as the as the ugly American in the room, I don't even know Terry White from uh, from your mother, so I have no idea who that person is. Alistair will explain it for you. Alistair, yeah, tell huh? us who about Terry White? Who was he? Yeah, who, who was Terry White? It was a block in the pub. Y'all no, broke in the, the pub. The one. So Terry White was the was the. Uh, um, he was an assistant he was the for the, ambassador, wasn't he? He, was the, he was the assistant to the Archbishop of Canterbury and then yeah, he, 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 he went over to Iran Libya Lebanon and he, and he was negotiating uh, the release of hostages that was basically ah. when he went out there on kind of a evangelical mission and then he himself was taken hostage in 1987 just around the time this song came out and he was held ah. until the 90s so and it was a huge story in, in, in Britain around the time ah. And um, just a weird one. Without it, it's a great tune, like a nice minute and a half pop tune. But with all that weird <laughs> Nostradamus precog context, it takes on some kind, something a little more mythical. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, that, that's good to know the backstory. <laughs> I n- had no idea about it. The only thing that uh, really leaped out at me about this tune uh, from a musical point of view was the excellent break with the scream. That For me, that was like, that was everything. That made the tune. Good stuff. Yeah, I agree. And, and and now I'll have to learn more about Terry White. Yeah. I think you you probably get everything you need from from this. Um, <laughs> I wish him well. I don't know if he's still uh, still out there doing his business, but um, to you, I Terry, love, I really like the twangy kind of verses, and then this, the fall do this thing where it breaks, and that would be a chorus for most bands. But then right. there's just no vocals. <laughs> it's just yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah. This, this, and, and right. it's like, but that's just how they roll, and um, it is beautiful. And mm. could have gone on for three four minutes without a saying it's welcome that um, um but you know it uh, it tickles my fancies what about timothy so let's see what he scribbled on the psychic rice paper it says a prime cassette tape sounding slice of sinister really tight if fuzzy solid groove and great use of space love the tinkly piano and the fast vibrato actually sounds good good shit good shit indeed and it does have a hiss in there on the version I heard, and I wasn't sure that was just that version or whether they'd like built in some tape hiss because this was lecky and it was well produced. And um, isn't it the know. one where the um, 
he mastered it from a, a, a like a C90 cassette. It might maybe because that's when um, did did Lecky do Ben Sinister? Or had he already pissed him off enough? Was it his last one? I think he. I'm not sure. Sure. I'm not sure. Sinister sure. was the last one, and yeah. half of the side was produced by Lecky, and the other half was mastered from a tape cassette. There we go. The mystery solved. Philip, what does Terry Wade? What do you says about Terry Wade? Well, I I was interested in what uh, Tim Three said there about it being a, a great slice of Ben Sinister. Because to my ear, this doesn't sound like Ben Sinister era fall at all. This sounds like a much later sort of like Melling, Greenway, and and Spur. And, Dave the uh, Eagle Spur. Yeah, I, I, it, to me, it sounds that like that kind of riff where they're, they're playing with Led Zepp kind of big chunky riffs and the, the the bend on it sounds a bit Dwayne Eddy as well doesn't it in terms of the aesthetic to get going on with it it's it's great it's really punchy it nails everything on the beat like everyone said the break with Brixie's scream is just absolutely exquisite it, it just works perfectly but um but to my ear it, it was just missing something and the more that I kept thinking about what if this had been on like Country on the Click or, or something on one of those later albums it would have had a Laney on it as well wouldn't it would have had just some some nice little keyboard flourish to sort of to, to just to just lift a little bit of the song somewhere and i think what an exquisite song that would have been with both bricks and delaney on it that would be that would be a real treat wouldn't it it's it's solid it's bright like you say it doesn't overstay it's welcome it's quite meesy guitar riffy type stuff but I, I don't know, I just felt a little bit loose in one corner for me. Just like there was there was a little piece missing which would have just made it work. Fair enough. Noted. Let us move on to the track it's up against, which is CD Winfall 2088 off Curious Orange. Ezra, I'm coming to you. Windfall CD, the year of our Lord 2088. Well, this potentially has one of the best song titles of all time. Uh, and, and unfortunately, the music doesn't really back it up. Track titles, rang checks, the song can't cash. Um, to those who don't know, the like album I Am Curious Orange was done. It was a kind of a tie-in with a dance troupe, um, a ballet troupe. And so all of these songs were performed with dancers, the initial kind of tour of the album. And there's a lot of very good songs on this album, but this maybe is not one of them. It's kind of perfunctory. I can imagine it would gel well with um, some dance, some ballet action, some hot, hot ballet action. Um, but for the listener, it's somewhat boring, although I do like the megaphone. Yeah, it's actually their attempt at doing uh, Metropolis by Kraftwerk. (laughs) 
that's country mile better. So while we're talking plagiarism, you know, so we've had Bo Diddley and uh, possibly the Bangles and now we're into craft work. So you steal well, steal well and steal hard. I quite liked it. I thought it was one of their more modern sounding tracks, but it wasn't deliberate. It was just probably Simon Rogers, who was kind of like the musical dude uh, doing all those keyboard stuff, trying to just make a version of Metropolis by Kraftwerk, but he ended up with something really soft and kind of arpeggiated, which actually reminded me of someone like Fortet, who I really quite like. Um, but those lyrics from New Big Prince being shouted over the top didn't do anything for me uh, either. Um, apparently, the 2880 is a dig that it would take the record label 100 years to get the CD out. Um, so who knows? Sam, what did this one do for you? Actually, as it happens, this is one of my favorite tracks. And I think there's a, a, a distinct influence here that I would bet good money that Marky e. Smith was working off of. There's a unison chant that happens in this thing. And it's very male sort of chorus kind of thing. And it's a... Right? He, talk about plagiarism. I am 99% certain he ripped that off from Adriano Celentano. I don't know if you guys know who that is. I do not. Okay. Adriano Celentano was uh, a, a, an Italian pop star. And he he made a song in 1972 called, um, he, he made this gibberish song, which he, in his mind, sounded like English. So he made up all these gibberish words, which to an Italian sounded like English. And you can't even pronounce the, the title of the song. It's called Prince in... Colonin It's crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It was actually uh, used on the soundtrack to a, a TV show called Fargo. Okay. On the second season. And okay. it, it's killer. Yeah, it's, it's totally. Like fall. Yeah. It's, t it's totally fucking killer. And, and actually, the fall sounded like that. It didn't sound like the fall because <laughs> this was after the fact, right? So. And it was like a proto-disco, proto-rap. You know, he's just... I've got it here. Let's have a listen. Let's have a quick yeah. listen. Yeah, find it. Find I've got it. it. I've got it here. Oh, okay, great. When I stay in the shoes and I will hold me the scene Then a whole red maybe get to call the boss dying Swango and Stussy. I eyes mine sensely. Any goes for doorway basil. Nice. But yeah, that track, I discovered it, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. It's completely crazy. And I, I think the way they cross the bar lines of the rhythm in in Celentano's thing and in uh, in the Falls thing is so similar. How about Timothy over there, Phil? What does he think? 
I like the loop on this and the funky and syncopated beats, but I've got to admit I'm sick to death of hearing about how Mark's not appreciated. This is the third or fourth track with the same bloody chant on it, right? Cut that off it and cut the runtime in half and I'd be more sympathetic to it for what it is, which is a bit of incidental music probably used on stage to good effect. Aye, aye, aye. He's the wise man, isn't he? And what about you, <laughs> Phil? What did you make of it? Well, I, I think the uh, that was that was very interesting, that song. I'm going to check that song out afterwards. So, and it is quite possible that he's lifted that because he's an incredibly eclectic um, creative, as all good creative people are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think the criticism of Money for All Rope on this is a bit harsh um, because uh, I I also was was quite drawn to this track. I think it's uh, there's some interesting stuff going on with it, and I think there's some really interesting collage ideas going on. I think I said to you earlier in the week, Brendan, about how I like with a painter you 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 don't sort of criticize them if they do the same painting over and over again i, I kept thinking of that um the bell captive painting by mcgrath where it's just like a sort of um a theatrical i can't remember what they call where the curtains they use the um over the theater uh, mm. stage and he, he keeps placing them on beaches with other kind of random surrealist objects and that and um, but he does he does loads and loads of them, loads of sort of slight variations on these on this this idea of a, of a painting. And the the fall do this with this track, don't they? In terms of hit priests and the new big prints, then it comes back on this album, and it's it's very different again. But it, we seem to be a bit sniffy when musicians do it. And I, I I sort of said to you that I think a lot of there's a lot of musicians out there you can accuse this of who do it unintentionally, where they just do the same song over and over again, probably because they can't write anything else. But the the fall, it's obviously a very deliberate thing to revisit songs like Ma Riley, which had been her fascist and her students and all those other things. It's they're not afraid of going back and 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 revisiting stuff and thinking, well. Is there anything left to mine on this that we can... And we're much more forgiving with The Fall because of the, how prolific they are. And you can go a long, long time without hitting the same idea if you, if you root around the back catalogue. So I thought that that whole idea was was really interesting. And it's, this is this is obviously theatrical. Um, I was actually reminded of the Charles Ives, the Central Park After Dark or something like that. He did a piece oh. <clears throat> where, is it Hello My Baby keeps cropping up as though it's... As you're walking past an open club and it sort of drifts in over the top of the music. I was reminded of that quite a bit, uh, that idea. But I, I think to agree with Ezra, finally, that it felt to me like a duet with just one singer and it, it needed that other thing going on with it, which it probably worked really well on stage with, a, with something visual to kind of engage with as well at the same time. But just on its own as a piece of music, I kept thinking to myself, if this had cropped up when we were doing the solo mez stuff it probably would have got into the top 10 mm. but i think without without that other thing going on with it the, the dancing choreograph choreography and the, the kind of story whatever that is that's being weaved in that performance it does feel like it's um just just there's something missing like there's some negative space i guess in the song yeah fair enough i mean i i thought what the sound itself i re i was really really appealed to me but the more i found out about it it was just a, his attempt to rip off craft work it, it cheapened the idea as well it, and i would have liked him to do much more stuff like this but we got it later with von sudenfer and things like that were there was electronic production and it was deliberate and it was it was a bit more interesting. Alistair, what about this one, 
for you, this bit of fluff? Well, I can agree with um, stuff that's been said by everybody else. Like, there's uh, lots of uh, very good points being made. Uh, yeah, the, the chanting thing, I think it's uh, a bit annoying, really. Like, uh, uh, but it's it's interesting in what they're doing. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's eco-friendly. They're uh, recycling, but you know, they, they, it's experimental at the same time. Uh, very experimental. You know, like uh, some edgy kind of New York electro disco type thing going like vibe with it. But then it starts getting like proper noisy, and uh, when it gets into the uh, the noisy territory, it really fucking rules. Uh, some great guitar sounds in it, and some great synth noise as well. The, the pissing with lots of shiny new digital technology which has probably just come on the market and uh, possibly been pushed at them by the manufacturers to uh, to road test which used to go on a lot with people like New Order and I think that they kind of like developed the emulator quite a lot you know it was very very kind of uh, fragile technology that used to break down at the drop of a hat which led to uh, many an annoying gig but it's yeah it's, you can tell that the the, the, uh, the choreography thing comes into it as well it would it, it, suit that and it stands out on the LP quite a bit uh, but gives uh, you know a curious orange a real sort of rounded feel to it it's not like a, a standout track on the album for me but it's it's it does stick out like a sore thumb yeah we suck okay. we're gonna we're gonna slag it too much right on let's take a vote who's going through is it Terry Waite or CD when fall um Philip I'm really torn on this it's a bit tricky, um, isn't it? I, yeah I, I do like Terry White says um yeah it probably just edges it for me Terry White says aye aye Alistair well I think for nostalgia's sake Terry White says was probably one of the first tunes that you heard by the fall that made me go yeah yeah that's that's really good uh so it's got to be Terry White says fair enough Sam I'm gonna go with the uh CD windfall 2088 Sweet. Um, yeah, just just uh, as an as a novice here, and a, as someone who doesn't know the history and the backstories of all these songs, um, I just found that track to be sonically really, you know, pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. and and. Um, so I'm going with that one. Yeah. Nice. Ezra? Yeah, there's been some very robust arguments for the CD win, but I am going to have to go for Terry Waite Says. Indeed. Uh, how about Tim 3? It says. Aye. I, if he'd gone for CD, I might have thrown mine in that in, in there. I'm going to go for CD anyway. It doesn't matter at this point. But Terry Waite <laughs> goes through. Up next, F Folding Money versus Distilled Mug Art. Hit us with some F Folding, if you don't mind, Philip. <laughs> I went to the bank just to get a little money When he told me the requirements I started feeling falling They said You ain't got a house You ain't got a plot I ain't got a window and I ain't got a job But it takes a lot of blue back to satisfy my heart If I could get my hands on some F old Nice. Mr. Bones is rocking over there. Sam, I'm going to come to you first. What's this one do for you? <laughs> well, yeah, he's a rockabilly man. And what a convincing rockabilly voice he has. Putting putting Jerry Lee Lewis to shame, right? I mean, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's perfect. It's I mean, it's a, it's a throwaway, man. It's a total throwaway kind of tune, but it's really, really good. And so can't beat that. It's rockabilly. Nice. 
It's a real twanger. It's a mangled, <laughs> beautiful, with some big beefy claps in there. Smith yes. being more lucid than we were used to at this point in his career. Well, there you go. I mean, I could also understand every single word. So yeah. that's there's something to be said for that. And is it just guitar and, and claps? Is that all that they've got going on in the background? Oh, my God. Isn't there some drums in there? I don't know. Maybe there's if there some weren't drums... drums if there weren't drums, then they just really pulled off a real coup. Because yeah, it is, fucking rocks, man. There might be yeah. stuff in the mix, but high in the mix is just that, just yeah. the guitar and, and, the, yeah. and the claps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Philip, what yeah, do you they, make of this one? Covered on Mark, isn't it? Um, it sounds like everyone's really enjoying themselves, even Mark. Um, I do. I did have to wonder how much Pro Tool um, editing had gone on with this because everything is nailed. It's not as um, the delivery, the vocal delivery is not as loose. So what do you expect at this sort of uh, time in his career? Um, but, I mean, regardless of that, I'm, I am not a huge rock and roll fan, he says controversially. And I think for being a guitarist by trade and having to have learned everything from 50s rock and roll and 12 bar and all that kind of thing, it's very... It has to do a lot to keep my interest, really. You know, I, I know Eddie Cochran back to front, um, and this is this is great. It knocks about the park, I think, for me. It's uh, I, I, I thought the energy in it was absolutely great. It really kept me interested. I don't think there's anything particularly inspired musically about it. It's just all done right, and it's and the vocal just works perfectly well. It's it's not only a great sort of rock voice, but it's uh, he's just delivering every line, and he's he's nails that. Uh, that that hook of the f folding money doesn't he which is uh which is a, a great line but yeah I, I think if it wasn't for mezzi's vocal over the top of it it would sound like um a jam night by middle-aged men in a in a pub uh yeah. you know you confuse it for status quo or the ramones or something but with mezzi's vocal on the top it's it's a winner and that's it there's so many of these songs are that that you add smith to the mix and as unconventional mm. <laughs> as those vocals are are, there's some magic in it and the pro tools thing especially when you get to the last song tonight it's like you you can you can hear it that around this era they do four or five takes and they just chop it up and make it fit uh, mm. but this one it, it's convincing I, I can't see the joins like i can with some of the later tracks but either way you know it's it's beautiful for what it is i want to play a bit of the original if um if you don't mind we can compare it because that's a fairly wacky in itself <laughs> Well, I went to see my banker just to raise a little money But when he told me the requirements, well, I started feeling funny He said, you gotta have a house, you gotta have a lot I ain't got a window and I ain't got a pot it takes a lot of long green to satisfy my honey If I could get my hands on some air-folded money I just love that effect, that kind of like... <laughs> it's super, it's fucking great, man. It was so reason. inventive, wasn't it? That, that yes. era of rock so and roll is good. really so good. Well, wasn't yeah. Sam Phillips build his own reverb chamber, I think, in Sun Studios? Like, he had the physical one down the hall. Like, and these, would it be full rooms just to, to make Just those, for the reverb, yeah. Yeah, plates. with sheets Actu of plate metal, Actual right? yeah. metal plates. 
That's madness. It's like purple people eater. So, you know, that's a bloody classic line. Yeah. <laughs> they really sort of put it out there. You can kind of novelty stuff, but it was like they were using the technology available at the time uh, and probably yeah, the, the more cutting-edge technology, taking yeah. risks. Absolutely, the Les Paul stuff as well. Um, what do you reckon to this one, Al? Um, yeah, it's fairly standard. You know, it's a, it's a cover, like I said, dead simple, nice hand claps. Reminded me a bit of the uh, cover of Rolling Danny. Quite, well, you know, it's, it's the, the rockabilly thing. And, um, you know, it reminded me of the cramps. And when he was playing it, I actually got cramp in my leg. So there you go. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with, with Phil with the, like, the vocal thing. You know, he, Smith's vocals do suit it a lot, like, but. I'd have preferred it to have been a little bit more loose, uh, a little bit more ill-disciplined sounding. Fair enough. Ezra, what about you? Oh, it's the story of my life, essentially. Um, <laughs> I usually I usually quote some lyrics from the original songs, um, and this is a cover, but anyway, I, I feel like it's important, if not essential, to quote some lyrics from this. So... I went to the bank just to raise a little money. When they told me their requirements, I started feeling funny. They said, you ain't got a horse or a house. Sorry. You ain't got a plot. You ain't got a window and you ain't got a job. But it takes a lot of bluebacks to satisfy my honey. If I could get my hands on some F-holding money. Fucking brilliant. It's it's just brilliant. It's one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life. Um <laughs> And you know, I like my 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 gratitude and my love pours out to the fall and to Marky e. Smith for introducing to me to this song. And it's interesting because what was what was the cover last week? Oh, I'm a mummy. So yeah, <laughs> like a, a mummy, he chooses to cover this song at a point where he really does need is in serious need of some f holding money. And so that's interesting. And the other interesting thing is, you know, you have the Dalek kind of vocals on the original, which he just played, which he doesn't get into. But then from this point forth, he spends most of his vocalizing career impersonating a Dalek. So, you know, that's interesting. Sweet, sweet. And my favorite lyric in there is, is why that's why I broke his jaw. That's why I'm doing time. There's a version of it in the original, but he changed a lot. As it, as, it, as was his uh, want with covers, he would often kind of mangle the lyrics and uh, sometimes uh, to, to improvement, as in this case, I think. Is that everyone? Is it time in the evening? Um, Tim three. We've heard Tim, Tim, right? Uh, did we? I don't know. Oh, Tim, no, yeah. Tim, what's Tim think? Mm, he has said, uh, recovered on rights with good energy and dirty production. Good song in the first place. Also a sublime guitar solo. Not something I picked to listen to in isolation, but I had fun listening to it this week. Splendid. And uh, that takes us on to Distilled Mug Art from 2G&G, the EP from 2002. <laughs> Uh, 
Now, these two couldn't be more different, even though they're only like a year apart. They were recorded maybe two years apart by more or less the same, more or less the same band. Um, it's got that mouth harp kind of thing and then that, that two chord acoustic thing, which I'm not sure that's a sample because around this time they started playing around with like guitar samples. They did the Crop Dust, which was a slowed down Trog sample. I really liked it. But in terms of Smith's delivery, the absolute opposite. It's inaudible. It's all over the place. It doesn't make any sense, even when you read what they think of the lyrics. It's beautiful. And it's just more proof that Smith's voice works with everything. You know that thing about they could read the phone book? They could sing the phone book? Smith could Aretha sing the Franklin. Phone. Exactly. Aretha Franklin <laughs> singing the phone book. Marky Smith reading the back of a cornflakes packet is better than any other vocalist you've ever met in your life. Um, that wonky sampledelic vibe... Uh, something Ezra's pointed out before is something he likes is random lists of numbers and things that are being read out by Smith, which he does in this song. And it seems to be distilled mug art is digital mug art about like a picture that's been put, printed onto a mug, like someone's giving him a mug for Christmas with a face on it. And he does not like that. He doesn't think that's an appropriate use. There you go. There you go. That's exactly the kind of thing he does not think has a place in this world. And he's decided to take it, take it to his soapbox and sing about it in such a way that nobody would ever get his message. But um, God bless you, Mark Smith. God bless you. Um, Philip, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's very different, this one, isn't it? Um, I really enjoyed listening to this on the headphones with the, the duet sort of um, the, the juxtaposition between the different vocal styles that he's using, which which really comes across when, you, when you've got the headphones on. Um, the music itself is very repetitive, but it's it's that drone approach where you can't you, you just get into a particular headspace when you're listening to it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, but then last night, I think I, I must have been sniffing the furniture polish or something because I was stirring at that cover art of uh, Are You a Missing Winner and listening to this song with the headphones on and it just started really disturbing me. It was really intense. There's a, there's a Tom Waits song where... Um, it's called What's He Building in There? And it's just this really sinister sort of monologue. And I was, I must admit, I got into a particular headspace where I started kind of like looking over my shoulder thinking there's something behind me and stuff. It was like very, very intense. Um, so I really, really write this. I think it's a really good experimental piece where they, they really pull off something different, but I never want to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> and last week we had a set of songs that were almost generic as, as far as this fall could be and this week it's just a total bag of of madness which is uh which is great that's exactly what we want but uh alistair about this one for you i quite like it um the recording of it i don't think it I, which was the one where it sounds like they're all pissed up in a beer garden. Where's the fucking taxi? That's the one, yeah. Uh, it reminded me uh, like a bit of that. Like it was just like some rough jam that they'd done, but they'd got some nice effects going on there. And, you know, if you'd have stuck some pan pipes on and maybe a Paul Simon doing a duet with them, you could have had a, an international hit with it. 
I'd give it another listen, yeah. Is there a parallel world where Paul Simon and Marquis Smith did You Can Call Me Owl together? (laughs) I'd like to, I'd like to live in that world. (laughs) Only in dreams. Ezra, what about you? Yeah, fucking fantastic. So I'll start with reading some of the lyrics. The God is going down now. Red cup growing on desk. Burnt on digital. Slow. More widening. 02.19. Whilst the engineers trying to pick up bits left and top of screen. 2.11. Whilst they are amusing themselves, trying to make politicians or actors look funny or better according to their present or ingrained past beliefs. 2.06. It's fucking great. It's fucking genius. And I'm sure that he fucking came up with these lyrics on acid because, what was it? Uh, Red crying on desk. That's pure LSD. You, you, can't, you can't have those thoughts without that. <laughs> the vocals get so fed up that one of the vocal tracks gets so fed up with the subject matter that they just give up the ghost and start growing. <laughs> it's hilarious. It sounds like a decrepit uh, comus. It, 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 yeah, a lot of love for this one for me. Beautiful. So much depends on the red mug growing fractally in my mind. <laughs> Sam, yourself? Yeah, as someone who took a lot of LSD in his teenage years, I have to say that when I was on acid, I couldn't possibly have written a single thing down on a piece of paper. So if Mark E. Smith could actually on acid write lyrics, my hat's off to him. That's where the amphetamines come in, Sam. Ah, yeah. Well, you know, most of the acid I took was laced with a lot of speed, too. So it would take hours to come down off of it. You know what I'm saying? The mushrooms are better. Back in the day. This tune, me, um, really hit home and really struck a chord with me because it's actually quite a lot like a lot of the music that I make and a lot of the music that I've recorded. Um, with the with this element of this kind of like folky acoustic sounding guitar, because I play this like three string guitar and it's very primitive, but it's almost like a mountain dulcimer, you know, of the for the Appalachian tradition. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm also a huge fan of filtering sounds, whether it's jaw harps, juice harps, whatever you want to call it, or synthesizers that have this go. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. I don't need a lot of chordal movement in the kind of music that really turns me on. And I think that's why I went towards a lot of world music early on, because the, the whole idea of chord changes was not part of what, you know, most of the music of the world is about. You know, It's almost more about like staying on the same thing, filtering. And and this this tune, Distilled Mug Art, absolutely had that going on. So to me, it just completely turned me on. And I was like, yeah, I, that's pretty much what I do. Like about 50% of the time, at least, is like bring two or three chords or one chord or a few notes and uh, create a drone situation as uh, as Phil was talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's like a kind of a drone vibe. For me, when I heard this, I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of what I do. 
and and that that made me happy. And I also dug how the uh, there was a there was a weird kind of break early on in the song that wasn't exactly a clear break. It was just like the weird kind of like semi stop where things just kind of go like and then it just kind of comes back. Somebody was too stoned to like maybe. And to me that was a, a nice touch. And the weird uh, haunting mumbling that's also a thread through the whole track to me just everything about it was like yeah this is great beautiful when you take the vote this is the yeah. one yeah 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 let's uh, hear what tim says and then we will take a vote okie dokie let's have a look what he has daubed on the wall i had forgotten that this existed and it's really good i love the hypnotic gypsy feel and the mystical peasant poetry the layered self-duiting the shifting and panning backdrop the obsession with number as an expression of the specific and the meaningless simultaneously. More, please. Yes, 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 indeed. There wasn't much more. And we say this so often. They do these one-off things that really work and are great, and then we never hear anything like again when they've moved on to the next thing. Let's take a vote, though. So uh, Sam's already thrown his, his uh, hat into the distilled mug art ring. How about you, Ezra? As much as I would love to get a cover version through, I'm going for the, the distilled. Aye, aye. Alistair? Yeah, distilled mug out for myself. Sweet. Philip? I have to vote for a folding money because it's disturbed mug art for me. Fair enough. I'm going with the mug art. Though I did think originally that it wouldn't get much love in the room and that folding, eh, folding money might have a chance, even with Alistair's integrity where he would never, ever vote a cover version through. I just thought there might be enough. But yeah, it's just a magical song. It's Mugart for me. What about Tim? He's gone for Mugart as well. Wow. We'll move on to the last showdown of the evening, which is We Wish You a Protein Christmas versus Is This New? Do you want me to play the other one? Yeah, play a bit of both of them. Let's do that funny joke where we play the other one first. Everybody loves it, though. It's, no, it's hilarious. hilarious. I'm, I'm totally surprised. Oh, I thought I'd... If you don't tell people you're going to play a funny song first, that has a has some kind of alignment with what it is. Everybody just bursts laughing. <laughs> What's going on? They're playing the wrong song. The right one. That's the right one. You've done it wrong, Brendan. <laughs> you've had one job to do and you've done it wrong. Christmas time. Christmas time Muffled and knocked Down Christmas time Oh lord Good Lord. She nails that vocal, though, doesn't she? This is from Ted and Ellen, and actually they only uploaded it a few months ago. Can you speak to the nationality of them? Because I was listening to that fellow, and I was like, yeah, maybe he's American. He sounded a bit American, but Tad, yeah. if you're out there, can you help us? Which Sounds part of the world are you from? Me, I mean, I love the Americans. I love them. Uh, I think they, they, everyone's included in that fall club. Are you right? Yeah, oh, no, it's great. Sure, sure. Sam, are you yeah, American it's yourself? Good. It's, all good as, it's all good as the Americans say. 
that's right. Saul Goodman. Yeah. Saul Goodman, man. Yeah, I know Saul. Yeah. It's a good friend of mine. Good, good. Um, yeah. Who's going to talk first? Should we play the real one? Because uh, <laughs> we'll oh. We're better at it, really, aren't we? Go on, that's your job. you a protein christmas by the fall and um i'd like to know what our good friend ezra thinks about that song it's incredible because you know you you the fall are not the band that you would associate with christmas and yet they have recorded a bevy of christmas songs and pretty much most of those christmas songs i would define as definitive christmas song best representation of christmas that anybody could actually hope for and this one is quite high in the ranks of fall christmas songs the only one i think that might trouble it christmas with simon the operatics are just essential the feast of man in october menus for hampers why why did i come back who's the fastest out of the club with excuses it's my reinforced exile you know it's the smell and the beckoning final hiss of the final anytime anytime all the family is in the house today how i wish i had never gone away i see christ's blood on the street sam what about this madness oh i love it ethereal backing vocals with the punchy rhythm was the great touch Formally speaking, I thought it was great. The, the distorted guitars were used very judiciously. The structure, I thought, was terrific. Yeah. yeah. Those layered sampled R's were kind of like the Carol of the Bells kind of style, I guess, yeah. that yeah. you know became famous in the uh, in the Home Alone movie. To, Never that, saw it, but... It's a great movie. They made several. They got each one better than the last. I've, I've heard about it, yeah. I'm not sure how this child kept getting left home by himself. Hey, yeah. I don't tell Hollywood what to do. But then that break was, is very much like 1970 by the Stooges, which is uh, which I really liked. Nice squelchy bass, a driving beat from Bert Whistle. Yeah, all in all, it's, it's a lovely, lovely Christmas tune. Philip, what do you reckon? Well, can I just pick apart something you just said there, Brendan? You can try. Because in, in, in the second Home Alone movie, he's actually lost in New York. He's, he's not at home at all. He's... He's running around New York. New York is everybody's home. So we're all home alone, really. Yeah, we're all we're fucking home al alone. alone. I used to have a, a thing about trying to find Macaulay Culkin death trilogy, where uh, three films where Macaulay Culkin dies. I only ever found two, though. It always feels like an unfinished project to me. This is incredible this show and it's it's really deeply magical uh, and i i think I, I echo everything that ezra said in terms of the falls association with christmas songs you normally associate the cheesiest most sort of saccharine pop 
singers with doing Christmas tunes, don't you? But they, they really turned into a bit of an industry, the fall, and knock out some high-quality contenders in terms of that. It's not just about mistletoe and wine, it's about, you know, the darker underbelly of it all and what, what the actual celebration is. It's more. It feels more like the, the kind of pagan take on where it's come from, doesn't it? Like the ghost of Christmas pagan past sort of sticking its face through and saying, well, you know, this is, this is all part of it as well. I love all that. And the other thing that I, I I really like about this is the fact it's prog. It's the folder. It's the folder of prog records all the way through everything from the guitar. And so I've got this concept, lads. Let's bring in the core. Bring in the choral uh, choir, and we'll do, yeah. The band can set up over there, and then we'll have the midgets dancing around Stonehenge over here. It's like I, I, I absolutely adore this. I thought it was brilliant. It's so grandiose, and um, everything works perfectly on it. it his delivery. And it, I was interested in Ezra's uh, throwing shade on David Bowie earlier on because I, I love Bowie. It really reminded me of that musical theatre approach that Bowie has with a lot of his stuff. It's got that big operatic kind of vibe about it all. It's a performance. You can imagine it being done on a big stage, open air. I, I loved it from start to finish and it, it really sounds Christmassy but it's it's dark Christmassy vibe and I, I'm all about that. Indeed, indeed. Alistair, does this do it for you? Yeah, it's very good, isn't it? Um, I agree with a hell of a lot of what Phil was saying. Structures, it's quite nice so he just drop bits in and he's quite random like but you know it's not how you'd expect it to progress first time you listen to it but yeah it's, it's better than uh, Do They Know It's Christmas by Band Aid so you know <laughs> Is it better than Blue Christmas though? That's that's a tough one that yeah <laughs> Ezra loved it and it was bloody excellent I wonder whether Timothy has time for it though that's what I want to know The best Christmas song ever? Question mark I love the song it's based on and this ends up being, for me, a respectable alternative version of it on season themes. The choral backing vocals are funny shit too. A Mark's bizarre laugh, ho oh, oh, ho, thing is weird as hell in the best way. Should be throwaway, but it hits the mark somehow. Exactly. Another one that, that doesn't deserve to be as good as it actually is, and it's it's a version of Protein Protection, which is off the uh, country on the click. So it is that era that we are all big fans of, and we've said lots and lots of nice stuff about it is up against Is This New, which is off Imperial Wax Solvent. <laughs> in accord with any known law. Laughing in the middle. Time blenders, all of them. The last statement with the departments of no name. Oh, you, 
You know Pip likes a song when he lets it play longer. Go on, Phil. You like this one, don't you? I, I love that chorus, Mike. Yeah, I, I think it... I was provoked! Amazing. It's it's a bit of a weird one, this. It's, it's got that whole Imperial Wax Solvent, we are uh, a, a, a safe pair of hands band, and everything's going to get nailed down to the floor, clean and well cut and performed in punches where it needs to punch. And I guess that's my only criticism of it as well, really, is the fact that it's it's just a bit too squeaky clean, the production on it. It, it just needs a bit more... What would Alan say? It just needs to be a bit more in the red on some of it. But Smith's on, on top form with this, isn't he? I, I think the lyrics are absolutely great. And he, he delivers them perfectly. It's yet yeah, another example of how he kicks Jim Morrison out of the park. That, actually, that's not hard to do. But I, I've got a big, massive soft spot for the Doors. I think the, the Eleni stuff on keyboard as well really kicks the LP out of the park. And I would argue that's not particularly hard to do either. In comparison to other fall tunes, I think there is, oh, I think there's a production issue with it for me. It's just a little bit too clean, but good, enjoyable. Yeah, and that's what we've said a lot of this era, isn't it? Especially this album. It's solid, solid top-notch songs, but just a little bit too squeaky clean at times. Alistair, um, what do you reckon? For the uh, the squeaky clean thing, I think they've, they've done okay with it. I, I do definitely agree with Phil, yeah, that it, it, and yourself, Brendan, that some of this stuff uh, later on was a bit um, kind of like the, the energy was lacking in it somewhere. But I thought this one was was pretty good. I, yeah, the, the, the lyrics are dead funny. The, the, uh, slipping in the Jeremy Kyle uh, reference was uh, an artist. I didn't really pick up the context of it, but the, the stops worked really well on it. Uh, it reminded me of, you know, like blues explosion-y type stuff um, or makeup or something like that. But yeah, I thought it was a really good song. And I'll probably vote for that one. Aye, aye. Well, don't give too much away, but it is. Um, we did lose Doc Cotton this week, and this do, the lyrics in this does read like Smith literally just sitting there in the afternoon on his sofa watching Richard and Judy, then Judge Judy, then Jeremy Kyle, and maybe an EastEnders omnibus. But uh, Doc Cotton, <laughs> rest in peace. Ezra, what do you reckon? It, it, it's quite marvelous. I can spin such gold. Like uh, it was something like Judge and Jury or Jeremy Kyle nobody knew and though they pursued Mr. J. Archer as he separated they knew Dot was <laughs> they knew Dot was his mum and still they went on searching and searching I was provoked it was not in accord with any known law time blenders all of them <laughs> Of course, Jeffrey Archer, the thinking man's trust. It's Lovecraftian. Jeffrey Archer is separating everywhere. <laughs> How can we contain it? It's like rabid. <laughs> To contrast with the the protein Christmas, we're going from Queen to Zappa. In both cases, better than the originals. When when I was in a in a band with Brendan, the closest person that we had to a sort of bez, as in a, a tag along person who would occasionally get up when they were too drunk onto the stage and, and do something, was a guy called Lance Monahan, and uh, he would do an impression of Doc Cotton as part oh. of his routine. <laughs> Go on, oh, Brendan, do it. Oh, do it, Brendan. Oh, <laughs> Oh, Nigel, Nigel, <laughs> that's just too many, oh. 
And Doc's gone. There's Doc gone. gone. Rest in peace. Lance, Lance is still with us, though. Thank the Lord. Sam, what do you make of this one? It's a, it's a rocking stop start tour de force. Three note riff, brutally effective. I thought it was some of the most effective spoken word. The, the beat, the, the feel, the groove was incredibly insistent. And I like that kind of contrast. You know, I mean, his delivery was moving at half time of what the music was doing. And you can let them rest on top of it as though they're on another plane. And I thought he did that magnificently. For, you know, for the second half of his career, that's basically what he did. That that struck me as something that like was incredibly effective. He seemed like a kind of master of it. You know, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's a very kind description that he, uh, you know, played with the bar lines and he moved. But basically, he just didn't know how to use where he was. No, that's <laughs> yes, uh, that's no, I, I, you know, I don't know if I believe that. This is somewhere you can definitely tell that it's been. Chopped. The vocal has been chopped, so they'll have taken uh, the lines that were out of sync and moved them around. But then uh, some of the takes, some of the takes could absolutely just totally be live. I, I might be mistake. It really reminds me of stuff like uh, White Stripes did with them, um, stuff like Ball and Biscuit, where they did uh, a lot of stop starty stuff, and it was really effective. It's a great tune. Love it. I think it all points to Eleni as well for that that keyboard sound that just sounds like a seventies cops theme that she's uh, yeah. she's got as well. Is that perfect? It's very mm. nice, and it seems like Andy Toma from Mouse on Mars was involved in there at uh, some point. He he's got the writing credit on him and Smith, but then as we know, those writing credits don't <laughs> could mean anything. You know? <laughs> Nobody gets credits for anything they write in the fall. Still got Tim to hear from. Still got Tim to go. Go on them. Another winner from IWS exactly as long as it needs to be tight and funny in an alternative world where justice prevails this would have been a chart topper which we all could have twerked in the streets buttocks quivering in exuberant splendour absolutely I mean this is a tough choice now these two are both top notch songs but it is time to decide Ezra which way are you going I'm, I'm, I'm going for the buttocks quivering in exuberant splendour because <laughs> who doesn't want to see that I do I do want to see Tim Three's uh, buttocks jiggling. Sam, which way are you going? Protein or is this new? Oh, it's a, it, this is a tough one, man. Is this new? Okay, dokie. Well, that's a streaking head. It's 2-0 as it stands, Phil Rigby. I'm voting for uh, Tad and Ellen and uh, their protein Christmas. Very good. And uh, it's good to see that the fall lives on in those vibrations digitally. Alistair? Is this news? Okie dokie. So, Tim Three? Uh, is this new? Okay, well, then my vote once again counts for now. And is this new goes through? So, uh, to the next round tonight, we have Oh Brother. Terry Waite says, F holding money. No, we don't. Let me try again. We have Oh Brother. Terry Waite says, maybe I can't remember. Uh, it's doing very well tonight. I was expecting it to fall apart much earlier than that. Some, some won and some went through. I hope you all had a good time. And then Iceland. I hope you all had a yeah, good time. Iceland also won. Sam, thank you very much for coming along to this marathon that was session. B- big pleasure, man. Really enjoyed it. Um, I'd love Excellent. to have you back. Uh, maybe when we get into round two in a in a half a year's time or so. Right on. Cool. Um, and thanks to the rest of you, chat next we'll be coming into the second chance saloon but um take care all of y'alls and uh, i'll see you 
Thanks for being close.